Congresswoman Ann Wagner has represented Missouri's 2nd Congressional District since 2012. And amid a souring environment for Republicans, the Baldwin Republican has a plan to get herself back to the U.S. House. Wagner joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say. Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Merzenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And returning to our show for the second time, one of the prides of Baldwin, Missouri. (laughs) I have to say one of them because Shemed Dogan and Mark Harder may get offended by that. (laughs) Correct. But we have as our guest... Congresswoman Ann Wagner from Baldwin, Missouri. Yeah, we're very thrilled, very excited. Congresswoman Wagner, aside from being uh, Baldwin's finest, also has been a major player in Washington, Uh, used to be at one point was state Republican Party chairman for several years, was co-chair of the national uh, RNC during the Bush mm-hmm. years, yep. at least the first part of the first, Bush years. First four years yes. And don't forget Ambassador to Luxembourg. Yes. We yes. can't forget Luxembourg. That's no, Luxembourg right. is, I've been there. I, I have never been there. I have never been You've there. You've got to visit. You've got to. But most importantly, you know, mother of Raymond, Stephen, and Mary Ruth. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So this has been an interesting election year for, for everybody. Um, you're running for your third term in the U.S. House against uh, State Representative Bill Otto, a Maryland Heights Democrat who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. The second district is is Republican leaning, and w- it, I would I would although d- not as much as it but used but to be. not as much as it used to be because it has parts of Jefferson County and St. Charles County. While it is Republican, has some areas which are Democratic. So how are you kind of approaching? your latest re-election amid a weird environment for Republicans like you? Well, like I always do, which is was getting out in the grassroots, meeting with people. We've we've had a campaign office, uh, Jason and Joe, that's been open for since last February. And uh, and literally we have knocked on 36,000 doors and and made actual phone calls, not not robo calls, but actual calls to 100 uh, north of 180,000 Households, wow. so it's a big volunteer operation. You know, I, I I cut my teeth in in politics and elective service at the grassroots level. I was nine years uh, Lafayette Township committee woman. There's no more neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend work, maybe other than school board mm-hmm. that that one does. So I believe in getting out, being among the people, the businesses. I just left T Rex. Um, and and the the 6:30 fintech operation downtown here. Uh, love to meet with our small business owners, with some of the big innovators and accelerators that are happening around around town. So uh, it's a, an exciting time. And and I come at campaigning um, really at a grassroots level. So what are you hearing as you're campaigning around and talking to people in the district and elsewhere? What are you hearing? Uh, great concern about the overreach of. Uh, of the federal government. Specific. Specific is this. They're, they're tired of this Washington knows best, one size fits all mentality. And I don't care whether it has to do with, with health care. I mean, right now we're hearing a lot about the Obamacare premiums 
going up, which are of, of great concern. People are concerned about about jobs, about uh, the economy, about their kids, whether or not they're going to have the opportunities that they've had in the past. They're concerned about everything from their consumer prices going up to their uh, energy prices going up, their own personal safety and security, national security. Uh, there is a lot of angst and anxiety out there, and that's what I'm I'm hearing. But really, there is this sense that uh, that the, these uh, this fourth branch of government, I will call it, that has really been created, I think, under this administration, which are these regulators and these department agency heads, uh, folks that are unelected bureaucrats, are, are are really taking far too much of their freedom away. They want to go back to a time where they didn't worry about what Washington was going to do uh, to them. So uh, I make an effort uh, to get home as, as much as I possibly can and uh, do so every weekend. We usually have a good long weekend, either a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, and, and I come back to the district. It's, it's, uh, it's personal to me. It's where I, uh, the district I love, this whole St. Louis region is where I grew up, where I've raised my family, where I was educated, where, um, where I've, I've worked in business and industry and the communities. So, uh, so it's important to get out and, and still go to the CVS, still go to the grocery stores, the dry cleaners, all of those places, uh, to, to my church, uh, and, uh, and talk to people. Now, one of the issues that you've been involved in, and that's a big concern, is the Westlake Bridgeton landfill situation. I, I believe you sponsored a bill with Lacey Clay to move uh, jurisdiction over was it both, at least what part of it? Yes, yeah, because part of it's under under state jurisdiction. Part of it has been under the EPA. There's a push to try to put it back under core under the Corps the of Army Engineers. Corps, yes. And I think you're a supporter of putting it under the Corps of Engineers. Correct? You bet I am. This uh, uh, this is an important issue and an issue where, frankly, the federal government has has failed uh, my constituents. And 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 first and foremost, I care most about the safety health and well-being of, uh, of of people that are affected all over the district, but certainly in that Westlake community. And for over 25 years, uh, they have been lied to, delayed, uh, uh, misled, uh, and ignored by the EPA and the federal government, who has just kicked this can down the road and not served the people well. So we're trying to move this to the Army Corps of, of, of Engineers to, to take jurisdiction. They've cleaned up a lot of these sites here in the St. Louis metro area. It's, a, it's an organization that, that the community has faith in, that I believe in, and that I think could perhaps solve this problem. Now, of course, some of the advocates, what they want is for the waste, the radioactive waste to be moved. There are some federal officials who have said, uh, well, it may be safer, and we're t I'm referring to the EPA here, it may be safer to keep it here but cap it better. Um, what's your stance on it? And if it's moved, where would you move it to? Well, I mean, we they certainly have sites where they, they collect this material and move uh, the radioactive waste to all the time. Uh, what we need to do is have uh, have a decision. The science has got to, to, to back this up. They uh, they, but they've delayed, delayed, delayed for over 25 years. There has to be a decision made here, and one that is going to serve the community well. There are real health concerns there uh, that are real. And uh, as I said, from a standard of living standpoint and, um, and the safety and well-being of the citizens, uh, I believe that the best jurisdiction for this is with the Army Corps of Engineers. Now, I'm, 
uh, I'm not pleased where where things have, have moved uh, in, in Congress with this. I was just going to ask you about yes. it because my understanding is when the bill got to the House, the EPA was like, no, we don't want to give away jurisdiction. And that's kind of how it stalled. Is well, that correct? Well, yeah, but I think also there was some uh, to be fair, and some Republican leaders who just didn't want to deal with it right now. But no, yeah, explain well, that. I will tell you, no, we, we did, and I fought to have a hearing. Things move a little differently in the House. Uh, we uh, Procedurally, uh, we like to be more open and transparent, and, um, and we fought to get a hearing. And sadly, the uh, Democrat ranking member of Energy and, and Commerce Committee, and I'll say his name, Congressman Frank Pallone, whose wife worked for the EPA, uh, vehemently opposed this legislation. And in fact, uh, one of the saddest days um, uh, that I've, I've had in Congress was testifying before the Energy and Commerce Committee with, uh, with the wonderful advocates like Don Chapman and others sitting behind me uh, with tears in their eyes while I'm pounding a table advocating uh, for the Army Corps and talking about the failure, the abject failure of the EPA in this, uh, in this arena, uh, having the ranking member, the Democrat ranking member, get up, sneer and laugh at them and walk out of the room. Uh, we've had no support uh, from the Obama administration on, on this, who has actually put out uh, a briefing paper that says they do not support the move to the Army Corps of Engineers. We've had a lack of support from the ranking member. And, you know, I'm going to continue to fight. I'm going to continue to fight this. This is not about politics. This is a, an extreme bipartisan issue. And uh, I want resolution. I want a resolution for uh, for my constituents and, and for the region. That's obviously a high-profile issue. If you are reelected to Congress, obviously you'll probably be continuing to work on that. But what are going to be some other priorities you're going to have, given that a lot of it is a lot of your ability to get things done will depend on who controls the House? It's a majoritarian body. And the Senate. And frankly, the Senate as well. As far as but I'm, I'm interested to hear if you're reelected and you are in a position where you're going to be in the majority again, what are going to be the specific things you're going to push for in, I believe, will be your third term? Yes, I'm just finishing up, uh, gosh, not even four years yet. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. This is a journey that um, that my family and I decided Gosh, you know, almost five years ago when I ran for the first time. This is the first time, that was the first time I'd ever put my name on the yard sign, right. so to speak. And uh, finishing up my, my second term, uh, I look at this time, Jason and, and Joe, is, uh, and the work that I do in Congress, uh, you know, you didn't know what to expect. Didn't know exactly what I was walking into entirely. But it's not a job for me. This, this is a calling and uh, you really need to approach uh, work like this from that standpoint. At least I need to. And to me, this is, uh, I've got a mission, which is to, to, to fight injustice, to give voice to the voiceless, to, to, to fight for the most vulnerable in our society. And that's what have really um, uh, organized my, my legislative priorities. And I look at the things that I've gotten done and will continue to work on uh, going forward, and and whether that's such as. such as you know the things that I do on the financial services committee, which is my committee of jurisdiction, uh -huh. very important to this region. Again, I just left, um, gosh, T Rex and uh, six thirty fintech, the all of the the large number of financial services sector employers here. It's a big growing industry in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Um, that is, is something that I love to advocate for. But, but again, giving voice to the voiceless also means 
passing the Retail Investor Protection Act, uh, which we got through house, the House, which uh, uh, goes to this fiduciary rule, but re- which really, though, is something that, that protects the retirement savings, especially those in the low and middle income uh, arena. So fighting for them, fighting to make sure that they have access and choices at an affordable rate, that's that's important to me. The, the, the work that I do uh, to, to stop tax ID fraud in this area. Sadly, St. Louis is number one, number one, according to the Federal Trade Commission, in having your tax returns stolen. And uh, the work that I do, passing and and, uh, supporting and putting forward legislation, like my IP PIN legislation, that will protect people's uh, most precious information, uh, information that not only ends up perhaps in, in, in in the wrong hands, that could uh, affect their, their their tax return refunds, but also their credit scores right. and things of this nature. Uh, so I'm going to continue to work in, in in those arenas too. The work that I do in in human trafficking, and everyone knows this is a great passion of mine. Something that started when I served abroad uh, as a U.S. ambassador, but but came home uh, to the states and to St. Louis. And uh, and realize that the the scourge of of human trafficking and uh, sex trafficking, and particularly among children, is um, is just not tantamount to to sex slavery and well, something that to, needs to be eradicated. I wanted to ask you about that because when you were on our show last time, we talked about that extensively. There there was talk about legislation. Tell me kind of what the, the status of that is, because I, I understand in Congress sometimes it takes a year or two to get More a bill through <laughs> to the presidency. I know that there was there were kind of starts and stops and some successes as well. I wanted you to kind of explain what you've done well, on that topic. Great success and, and um, success that, that frankly um, is all about my calling of serving the most vulnerable um, in our, our region, in our, our country. We actually got the SAVE Act passed and signed into law by the President of the United States. But not just that. We had a full package of, um, of 11 pieces of human trafficking legislation. It had been 13 years since the U.S. House had actually passed legislation having to do with human trafficking. And um, uh, I was the will and the force and the, and the push behind this. It included the SAVE Act, which went after those online predators like Backpage, Dot com that uh, allow uh, these predators to order up little girls to their hotel rooms or wherever as, as easily as they would a, a pepperoni pizza. I mean, it's absolutely deplorable. And uh, But we packaged 11 great pieces of human trafficking legislation together under the JVTA, Justice for Victims of Trafficking Act, and uh, SAVE being one of them, and, um, and got that through the House, got that through the Senate, and here in the 114th uh, Congress got it signed into law by the President of the United States. I actually um, have had a pretty successful record of getting things done. Um, anymore at, at, at my stage uh, of the game, I'm, I'm, I'm not a dreamer, I'm a doer. I want results, I want to get things done, that's why I went to Congress. I actually had in the 114th Congress 14 different pieces of legislation that I actually dropped in the hopper that that, that I put forward. Um, now, we co-sponsored a multitude of, of other really great pieces of legislation out there, but 14 uh, that I personally spent a lot of time on, seven of them passed the U.S. House of Representatives, and five 
of them were signed into law. As standalone bills or were you or were there were like amendments to other bills? Stand okay. alone pieces of legislation yeah. and um, such as I mean just such as get... save the save act right. um, a, 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 a number of our our uh, financial services pieces of legislation okay. that actually cut through red tape which is another big issue that I um, I talk a lot about when I talk about the overreach of the federal government into people's lives on the financial services uh, committee I spend a, a good deal of time batting back these regulators putting them back into their lanes making sure that business and in- industry and capital formation can happen so that businesses can grow. So um, uh, some, some really good pieces of legislation. And before, before we get into are there like three different Congress people from Missouri on the Financial Services Committee? I know Blaine Luke Demeyer is on there, but also Lacey Clay Lacey as Clay well. is, and, and, and believe it or not, so is Emanuel Cleaver in oh, the Kansas City area, which talks to how important this region is in that industry. We think a lot of the St. Louis metro area in terms of biotech and life science Sciences, uh, healthcare, uh, all underpinned by our wonderful institutions and universities and the public-private partnerships that happen as a result of this. Uh, but but we do a, a, a lot, and it's growing. While while it's shrinking in other areas, the financial service sector is growing and growing in uh, in Missouri with a, a lot of great uh, uh, companies. Now. We mentioned just early on talking about um, the Affordable Care Act, and I know you've been among the critics from the get-go. Um, there has been a lot of attention to the latest round of premium increases for next year. However, to be um, fair, if you look at what those premiums looks like they're going to be, <coughs> excuse me, in most cases, they are significantly less than what they would be if those people were trying to buy insurance on the open market. Um, what is your thoughts about what needs to be done? I mean, you know, the Democrats have been claiming that the Republicans have blocked any fixes. I'm just interested, since you are in Congress, kind of how would you approach this? Well, it's a, it's a great question and one that we're going to continue to be facing, I think, as we as we go forward here. Um, uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is an abject failure. It, it is. And uh, there were some 51 provisions uh, of uh, of Obamacare that have been already delayed, uh, uh, pulled from uh, existence, uh, repealed. Uh, only two of them have been done by the courts. Only about 17 have been done by Congress. The rest were done by this administration. I believe this was a system that was was set up to uh, uh, to fail, and uh, we've seen the the the, the co ops fail, the insurance the insurer insurance providers pull out, uh, but mainly what we've seen is is people cannot afford the the premium costs and they cannot afford the deductibles. Uh, Maybe they're not getting to see the the physicians that they want. I want to see a free market approach. And, you know, you you can't be the party of no. You can't say, you know, we, we object to this without coming up with good ideas. But I think to put to put healthcare back into the 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 free market is what we really need to do, which has to do with, with being have access across state lines, being able to have your health care portable so you can take it job to job, lift up health savings accounts, um, allow for some of these uh, uh, co-ops to, to pull together for catastrophic coverage, different boutique coverage that's very important. Maybe it's, it's uh, malpractice uh, uh, tort reform. There are a number of issues that we can do that are going to make this I think, more affordable and allow people to have control of their health care again. Well, yeah, but what would you do? Some say one of the reasons for the premium increases 
whether it was with Affordable Care Act or not, is, you know, trying getting rid of pre-existing conditions, which blocks some people from getting health care. How would you deal with that? I we mean, would, how would you are, handle are that? Are keeping uh, somebody who's 26 on their health care. Those are pretty popular provisions in that. And I support like. those provisions. I, I, I believe that we should be taking care of people with pre-existing conditions. And and honestly, if um, if parents want to pay to keep their 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 child on their uh, on their health insurance uh, plans longer. That's a decision that they should make with with their their, their yeah, son or daughter. Yeah, but the insurance has have to allow it. I mean, right now they do and because think, it's federally mandated. And I think that we could keep those ideas. Yet okay. again, put that back, put this back into the hands of the people and back into a market system. This should be just like purchasing your car insurance or uh, your life insurance or any other kind of insurance. It should be portable. It should be across state lines. It should be affordable. And uh, there should be a multitude of free market options out there that most of all puts the individual in charge of their health care um, uh, with the, the, the doctor that they want, the support network networks that, that, that they want. This has been an abject failure and, um, and one that we absolutely cannot afford to continue. So uh, this isn't just about repealing uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act. It's about starting over with something uh, uh, new and a better approach. So that's what I support. And that's certainly what uh, the U.S. House of Representatives and my colleagues and I are, are promoting here. It's a part of the Better Way agenda, which, which talks about uh, what it would look like uh, in a Republican majority going forward. Well, that was going to be my next question, because I think the last time, when you were here last time, there was still a Speaker Boehner, and there's been a change in leadership to Speaker Ryan. And I think that was about a year plus ago. It might have been almost this, yes, we're almost yeah. at the one year anniversary at this okay, point. Okay. Um, I'm just kind of getting, wanting to get your sense of how that's gone so far. Because that, that there leadership are pressure. transition. Yeah, because there's there's some talk that there may be a challenge to Ryan. Yeah, because uh, in the new Congress, because, you know, being in leadership is difficult. You get a lot of critics, but. Congress isn't very popular right now. I don't know the last time it was popular, to be honest. But what, what do you think of your current leadership of, of the House, and do you think it's sufficient enough? Well, I, I you know, I've got uh, some high praise for Paul Ryan, and I've worked with him as a, a leader who brings fresh and new ideas. Who's a true conservative, a principled man whose mm-hmm. whose values I share uh, deeply, and. Uh, uh, and what I, I think I appreciate most uh, about Speaker Ryan is the fact that he's a good communicator and that he also has a vision for the future. And you'll hear uh, the Republican, my Republican colleagues in the U.S. House talk about the Better Way agenda, talk about our platform going forward that talks about innovation, talks about safety, national safety and security, mm-hmm. economic security, has a poverty program that talks about lifting people up out of welfare to work, coming up with, with uh, solutions that, that are, are specific to the needs of someone trying uh, to move themselves up. Um, um, and out of government assistance. It's got uh, tax reform issues in it. It's got health care platforms. It's got a number of things in it that, that uh, we're running on. Anything with Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid? Or, or do you think that those programs should stay the way they are, basically? Well, we have terrible uh, debt problem at this point, $20 trillion in, in rising. And we're going to have to have an adult conversation about how to rein in 
those costs for the future. Because what we want is to have that safety net available for future generations and make sure that um, that it's there. And right now, on the path that we're on, it's not. So at some point, we're going to have to have a conversation about that. So as you want to either raise the age, uh, the the minimum retirement age, or um, expand. I mean, some have said lift the cap on where for Social Security, for example, where people pay the tax. Um, How would you deal with some of that? Well, you know, obviously we have to to take care of our seniors presently. And uh, I don't know what the age would be, whether it's everyone 50 and older, 55 and older. There are all sorts of different ages that you hear. You know, it, it remains the same. Your Social Security, your Medicare, the, the same. But mm-hmm. I think really where there's an opportunity is some Medicare uh, reform that uh, whether it has to do with, uh, with the premiums, whether it has to do with means testing, whether it has to do uh, with, with, with age, uh, those are things that we're going to have to do if we're going to protect this for the future. And we have to allow the youth in our country to have opportunities through, uh, to invest that money, not in the federal government, uh, but in other means that uh, they have better control over, that the federal government does not have control over. I've got young kids that are getting out into the work market, and I care deeply about are they going to, what will they have uh, in the future? Well, let's transition into the political aspect of this. So you're running against Bill Otto. Bill Otto is a two-term state representative who has won two competitive races in competitive territory. You have drastically outraised him. I would say that's probably due to your fundraising prowess and your incumbency. And I don't see him being supported by like the DCCC or any groups that you usually need to be competitive in races like this. But having talked with them, he seems like a pretty serious challenger. He seems to be working hard. He seems to be, have some fans in this district. What do you make of him as an opponent and why do you think people should vote for you as opposed to him? Well, he seems like a very nice man to me. We've uh, met on several occasions. We've done a couple of forums together. And I will say that um, I, I love our democracy. I've got uh, I've, I, he's not my only opponent out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got at least two more, at least one more on the on the on the ballot. Right. And um, and we usually will have a, a, a primary opponent also. That's our democratic system, one that I support uh, and have uh, for for a, a long time now. And um, well, I respect all those who jump into the arena and are willing to, to participate, I do believe that, that the policies, the calling that I have, um, uh, and the profile that I have fits our district um, uh, in a much better uh, fashion. And it's not just that this is a Republican-leaning Republican district. Um, this is a district that someone like myself with a business background, especially in small business and industry, um, uh, someone that has not just signed the, the back of a paycheck but the front of a paycheck, someone that's willing to fight for our, our, our veterans, for the most vulnerable out there, the work we do in constituent services and help people navigate uh, the IRS, the VA, uh, maybe an immigration issue. Mm-hmm. Those are important issues that um, uh, that I spend a, a good deal of time um, on, and and I believe I've been effective. And I, I really do believe that um, my calling to, to serve um, is, is one that we've really just begun. Well, this is one of the reasons why I guess I'm paying attention to your race regardless of the outcome, because even if you're favored to win, there are a whole bunch of statewide officials that are depending on turnout from the second district, both Republican and Democrat. And if you win by a large amount and you're able to turn out a lot of Republican voters, that has to help Roy Blunt, yep. that helps Eric Greitens, it helps maybe even Randy Jotty or some of the state house candidates. But 
if Bill Otto runs more strongly and gets a lot of Democratic votes out, that could help a whole slew of Democrats. Is that kind of how you're looking at it, too, that you need to not only help yourself, but help your Republicans up and down the ticket? You bet. And you've touched on probably one of my most favorite things to talk about when it comes to to politics from this standpoint. I don't like lonely victories. And um, it should be the job and incumbent upon on me and others to lift all all boats here. And that's why we opened up the headquarters back in February, well ahead of time. That's why we've, you know, knocked on 36,000 doors and counting. And I'll spend a good chunk of of, uh, next week, and we do each Super Saturday doing the same thing. Myself personally, along with the volunteers, 180 phone calls into the 2nd Congressional District. We're going to run a very strong and very hefty turnout uh, program because not just in terms of media market, but in terms of actual general election votes, what happens in Missouri's second congressional district matters, and it matters to uh, to all those up and down the ticket. Now, kind of, you uh, said you used to be head of the state Republican Party, so you do have a sense of looking at the whole map here. And I remember talking to you in to, to, uh, right after the uh, Bush victory in two thousand four, and you were saying Missouri is a red state. Okay, <laughs> now things. Some would say it's purple right now, but it depends. I'm interested in your assessment on what effect, if any, the Trump Clinton fight will have, either in Missouri. Granted, neither side is campaigning here. The conventional wisdom is that Trump will carry Missouri. But the whole issue is by how much and if there will be a trickle-down effect. I'm interested in your take on that. Well, and, and, and that matters. Obviously, during presidential election years uh, and, and historically speaking, the top of the ticket drives turnout. And, uh, and, and I'm, you know, I'm concerned about turnout. I'm concerned about turnout uh, in terms of all of our down-ballot candidates. So what people have to do is you, you have to run your own race. And you have to be able to talk to your constituents about the issues that matter to them, uh, what you've been doing to uh, to lift them up and represent them and advocate for them, and, and how effective that you've, you've been. And if you don't get out and do the grassroots uh, neighbor-to-neighbor work in, in any race, especially in a congressional race, um, uh, you won't win. And you know what? You don't deserve to win. Uh, I, I work harder than than, um, than most people that I know uh, in politics to make sure that I am out among the people. I say I am never, I will never be of Washington, D.C. I am of Baldwin, Anne from Baldwin. That's who I am. That's my trademark. That's... Um, uh, that's what my family is. That's uh, what I represent. And so so, so bringing that uh, to the political realm is what really matters in terms of running these races. Uh, I'm concerned about, about turnout, and uh, which is why I'm working very, very hard to make sure that we get out the vote in the 2nd District. Now, you, your campaign knew I was going to ask this, but I mean, you did um, unendorse Trump. Now, to be fair, and I've said this publicly, you were never a big supporter of Trump way back. You initially had been with Bush. And then, frankly, most of the major Republicans in this state had been with other candidates, not with Trump. Okay, that said, is A, is there anything additional you want to say about your decision? What sort of fallout have you been getting? No, nothing really additional to, to say about the issue other than I will say this. As, um, as our campaign has as talked to uh, all these folks door-to-door and on the phone, they're really not focusing on 
on the presidential race as much as I have seen in the past. Really? really? What I'm hearing is um, they want to know, what, Ann Wagner, are you going to do to make my life easier? Uh, I'm tired of worrying about Washington, D.C. I'm tired of, of, of this sense that that, that my freedoms are just slowly being eroded and, and taken away by this one-size-fits-all, Washington-knows-best mentality. I want to go back to a day where I didn't worry about what a Washington bureaucrat is going to do to me. I want to go back to the day where where I had control of my health care, where my kids could, could, could go to school or a vocational school. They could find a job. They could be independent. I'm concerned about ISIS. I'm concerned about my national security. I'm, I'm concerned about my own personal safety and security. It's really those, those bread and butter, kitchen table issues um, that people are concerned about most of all, uh, I've heard everything. It's so interesting from, from literally, you know, what's happening from, from a transportation standpoint in our region to, to law enforcement. I mean, we've had some tragedies yes. in my, my, own, um, my own home uh, municipality of, of, of Baldwin with Officer Flamian, who mm-hmm. uh, everyone has, has rallied behind uh, the, the loss of life and Officer Snyder. I do whatever I can to stand with our law enforcement and our first responders to make sure that they know of our support. And and it's been really gratifying to watch our communities uh, come together uh, to lift our law enforcement up and to be there for these these families. And uh, during a very difficult and tumultuous time, uh, not just in our region, but uh, nationally. A couple more political questions. Yeah. OK, first, OK, do we have hot contests for governor in the U.S. Senate. Um, any thoughts about those or what impact they may have, if any, on your race? Well, you know, I uh, I hope I have a positive impact on their race. Is what I'm okay. is what I'm ha- uh, and I gotta hoping ask, for. Are you surprised Jason Kander has has been such a formidable competitor to Roy Blunt? Uh, I am because Roy Dun- Roy Blunt does a, a a fabulous job. In fact, we uh, our uh, our our campaign headquarters we we cohabitate those and and work together yeah, as a you're team. A strong, you've you've been a long time ally of Blunt. Absolutely, I've I've known him for uh, a, a very long time, and he's an effective legislator and. Um, and what I'm really hoping to see, uh, talking about the gubernatorial race, Jason, that you mentioned, mm-hmm. is I want to see at the statewide candidate level and, and elected official level, I want to see it a little more reflective of our Missouri House and Senate. Uh, they need a Republican governor that's going to, to, to guide them and actually sign their legislation and, um, and work with them on, on issues that are are really important to the, the the people that I'm talking to around the table, and I don't know that they've had a uh, they haven't had a good uh, leader in our, our current governor to, to get that done. Mm-hmm. So I'm I am very hopeful that uh, that Eric Greitens is going to be that candidate. I think we're going to have success up and down the, the statewide mm-hmm. uh, level. You're going to see Eric Schmidt. You're going to see uh, certainly Josh Hawley and others that are going to win those races and. Um, I hope it'll bring a new a new era to state government. Now, will that affect kind of how you deal with the with the state government if if you're reelected? I mean, will that affect more if there's more um, Republicans in statewide office? You here? bet it will. And let me tell you how. Because I spend the better part of of my time in Washington trying to keep Washington off of the back and out of the way of the state and local uh, uh, government and, and businesses. I'm a firm believer in the, the the best government is government closest to the people. So if I have partners 
uh, at the statewide level that will help me push back on the federal government. Uh, that makes the work that I do more effective um, and, and, and thus, um, you know, more rewarding and um, impactful for the constituents that I serve. I, I got to ask this question. I don't think you're going to break any huge news on this show because you got to win re-election before 2018. But certain national D.C. publications <laughs> are already writing about what you may do in 2018. I have on my phone right now an article from The Hill that is entitled, House GOP eyes McCaskill challenge. So are you going to announce on this show that you're running against McCaskill in 2018? That would be, that or would be awesome. should we have you on the show in a month? You know, I am. Uh, I, uh, I think everybody is is pretty much electioned out. Uh, uh, let me just say that uh, we are we are definitely all living for November 8th, or or shall I say the the morning after. I, I take it one step at a time. But but let me say this, sure. and and I appreciate your asking the question, Jason and. And and Joe, you know, we go back in, yeah. in, in, in politics and, and the work that I've done across the state and in the region for a long time. And as I started out your show talking about it, it's, it's a calling to me. This is sure. personable. This is very personal. And it's about um, giving voice to the voiceless, making sure that I help the most vulnerable and advocate for people that um, that feel disenfranchised. And if to the extent that I can continue to do that in my community, um, in the 2nd District, in the state of Missouri, I am always open and looking for opportunities um, uh, to serve a cause greater than oneself and to be there uh, to advocate for those that I care deeply about. Now, will things affect you at all? Okay, if you have a Republican president versus a Democratic president, without getting into their election, but, but just looking at it from the House standpoint... Uh, because the it's 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 conventional wisdom is that Republicans will stay in control of the House, probably. It just may it may be a little tighter. Um, but just kind of in general, will that affect anything as far as how you approach things? If there's a Republican president versus a Democratic president, or does it make no difference? It it certainly won't affect the way that I approach things. Okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm willing to reach out across the aisle. That's why I am effective to get things done. Um, I'm I'm going to continue to 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 be a reflection and a voice for uh, people of Missouri's second congressional district. Um, I'm going to get things done. I'm going to listen to to their needs and represent uh, them through the legislative process. I'm going to push back. On, on these regulators that are overreaching into their freedoms, into their businesses, into their homes, into their lives. That's the work that I'm going to continue uh, to do. That's the work that I'm called to do. That's the work that, um, uh, that I truly love to do. So I promise everyone that on the morning, Wednesday morning, November 9th, we'll all wake up, the sun will rise, the republic will stand, and I, Anna Wagner, will be out there to fight uh, for for my constituents another day. Well, I can assure that our listeners that I, Jason Merzenbaum, will also be <laughs> awake after two hours of sleep on November with 9th. With B-bomb, right? Yeah. With, with, with B-bomb. <laughs> B-bomb will wake me up and at 6.30 in the morning. And not with a plaid jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got to tell you what, Jason, you are... You are uh, <laughs> I the, don't know. He has about the this. hunter look. I, <laughs> for our listeners, I'm wearing a Buffalo check Columbia <laughs> fleece. I don't know why I'm wearing it. I think it's because I'm about to go to a Chris Coster event and I want to throw him <laughs> off guard. 
but also it's a very comfortable coat. So thank you, Congresswoman, for 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 rightfully making fun of my fascist sense. Very sorry, I had to do it. It's okay. Couldn't go unnoticed by Jill or myself. We're 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 we're, we're quite properly and professionally yes. adorned. Well, I will Wagner say that. Well, Wagner has so. a fabulously fall-looking uh, um, outfit. It's kind of a rusty. It uh, is a rust color. It looks really cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am. Um, I, I'm. I'm wishing that that fall would remain. I understand we're about to have a little Indian summer here. Uh, maybe yeah, break 80, out the shorts again. 80, 80 degrees on Halloween. I mean, wow. The trick or treaters will be happy. They might be a little sweaty in those costumes, but they'll be happy. Well, B Bomb will be going as Spider Man and Chewbacca the Wookiee. Uh, so for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitty- Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. How would we follow you on social media or otherwise? At Rep Ann Wagner. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. <laughs> <laughs>